I think I've probably told many of you that over the last couple years, I really got into riding my bike. I think I told some of you that during COVID, I got a little bit bored in the beginning of the pandemic. We were, we were pretty much shut down because our oldest son got the virus, so we're stuck in our house. And during that virus and many weeks afterwards, so after a while, I got a little bored and started going through my basement looking for something to do. And there in my basement was my 30-year-old mountain bike. I thought, I'll get that thing out for a while. And I actually started really enjoying riding outside. And fortunately, we have a 10-mile bike loop that's just a stone throw away from our house. In the middle of it, there's all a bunch of different trails that go through this, this area. So I've had a lot of fun riding my mountain bike over the last couple of years. And I did what a lot of people have done over the last year and a half is they wanted a new bike. So kind of early in this pandemic, I'm like, I like my 30-year-old bike, but I want a new better bike. So I went to the bike store which I think 90% of Americans went to the bike store to find out there's no bikes. Every bike is sold out. So I told the man, I said, what bike I wanted? And he said, well, <laughs> that's probably not going to happen. 11 months later, I went to the bike store and got the bike I ordered, you know, 11 months earlier. It took that long to get my bike in. So I went to the bike store earlier this year in the spring to pick up my bike. And I thought, okay, you go pick up a bike, you know, you just walk in, pay, and you walk out. I was in there for about 45 minutes to an hour having them adjust that bike to my body. I thought, okay, you adjust the seat, big deal, but he adjusted the seat. And then it was the tilt of the seat. Oh, no, we had to back up. What kind of shoes are you going to wear when you ride the bike? Because that's going to influence what kind of pedals you have on the bike, and that will influence if you have clips or clipless or bindings or no bindings. And so you had to go through this big shoe thing to figure out first, and then you figure out, okay, what shoes I'm going to wear, and then what kind of pedals are you going to wear, and then you sit on the bike, and you got to adjust the seat to the pedals to the handlebar, and not only that, but they got out special tools to measure, like what bend in my legs when I'm pedaling versus my back, and so literally 20, 30 minutes later of all this exercising, of figuring out how I ride my bike, I actually leave with the bike. I mean, it probably I was there for an hour, but it was about 30 to 45 minutes adjusting that. And the whole goal was that so that bike would fit me perfectly. Because if it fit me really well, I'd be very comfortable, and my comfortableness would influence how effective I would be riding the bike. The whole goal is if I'm comfortable on that bike, I will be able to get maximum output. And that does make sense because when you look at a bike seat, that just does not look comfortable to sit on. But if you're adjusted well, it's pretty comfortable. And I was surprised I left that bike store, went home, got on my new bike, rode my 10-mile loop that I do on most days, and how much time I saved just because I had a bike that was fitted for me well so I could get maximum output. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, so often we as Christians are not effectively prepared for what God has called us to do. I think a lot of times we as Christians kind of just jump on a bike and go. But I was actually considering, is my seat at the right place? Are my handlebars adjusted? I have the right pedals on. And I think God has called and prepared us to be very effective as Christians, but sometimes we don't take that necessary 45 minutes and say, am I really fitted for what God has called me to do? And I think we understand how we are fitted and prepared by looking at discipleship, by looking at spiritual formation, by looking at these things that God would have us do on a daily basis or a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, so we can be prepared to be effective Christians.
So we can be comfortable as being a Christian, and we can be prepared to do what God has called us to do, and that is to disciple nations. See, God has called us to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, that we would reflect him. And so that's why we are taking this series where we're looking at spiritual formation and we're looking at prayer to say, are we prepared to do what God has called us to do? We're pausing and saying, do I really know how to pray? And we're pausing to say, Jesus, would you show me how to pray? It's probably no surprise at all that a couple weeks ago we started to talk about the question that the disciples asked Jesus in the Gospels. And they said to Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? It's kind of an interesting, the question that they asked him a couple weeks ago. I told you that they didn't ask Jesus how to evangelize. They didn't ask him how to, how to heal the sick. They didn't ask him how to preach. They said, would you show us how to pray? So I think what those disciples understood very clearly was that prayer was the foundation to every single thing that Jesus did. And if you could figure out how to pray, you could figure out how to do everything else. See, prayer is kind of like the bike seat. If that bike seat's uncomfortable, don't even ride. But once that bike seat's pretty comfortable, you're ready to go. And I think the disciples understood if we could catch how to pray, it would make life a whole lot easier. Because the disciples, they watched Jesus pray over and over again. They watched Jesus go away for an hour or two to pray. They watched Jesus go away all night and pray. They saw Jesus pray on a consistent basis. And they noticed when Jesus prays, things happen, people are healed. The blind see, the deaf hear, those who can't walk are walking again. And they're looking at Jesus when he prays, his countenance changes. Everything about Jesus changes. So I think those disciples weren't just saying, we want to know how to pray. They were saying, we want to experience, Jesus, what you experience in prayer. We want to experience that closeness to God that you're experiencing. We want to experience what it's like to be transformed when you pray. And we also want to know how to pray for longer than 30 seconds without getting bored. Because I think if we we're real honest, a lot of us would be like, yeah, 30 seconds, is, that's, that sometimes feels like a long time. And these disciples are watching Jesus pray, and they're thinking, how does he do that? So they say to Jesus, would you, would you, would you teach us how to pray? Because they want that experience like Jesus has experienced. I think every one of us wants that experience as well. But there's many times I think to myself, I wish the disciples would have said to Jesus, why do we pray? Because I think sometimes we all wonder that, well, why do I need to pray? Especially when you consider that in Luke 11, Jesus says to his disciples that God knows exactly what you need before you ask him. There's part of you that thinks, well, if you know what I need, God, why am I asking for it? Why don't you just give it to me? I mean, like if I'm sick, I mean, you kind of know that, just come on, heal me. I mean, on one hand, it is comforting to know that God knows your needs, that he is the God in heaven that is bending down and he's watching over you. And then he's like, I know exactly what you need back. I know exactly what you need, Lori, that he is that intimately involved in your life that he's like, I know exactly what you need. But at times we're like, then why don't you just do it? See, the disciples didn't say to Jesus, why do we pray? They said, teach us to pray. So I make the assumption that they knew why they had to pray. I think they had that kind of figured out. I think they had that figured out because they were very good students of the Old Testament. They knew the scripture very well. 
I think they knew very well that Genesis 1 verse 26 says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry on the ground. I think when the disciples were thinking, Why do we pray? They're thinking, That verse tells us. There's a couple of interesting words in that verse. The first word is, this translation calls it human beings. A lot of the other translations will say man. The Hebrew word is what we say Adam, which is Adam. And the, Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word for Adam simply means humankind. It doesn't just mean Adam who was in the Garden of Eden that ate the apple. It was refers to all mankind. So what the scripture is saying, this is going to be the prototype for all human beings from this point forward. That they're all going to participate in reigning over the world. That God is going to give them some leadership. He's going to give them some responsibility. See, that word that I read here that said reign over, that's another interesting Hebrew word that's often translated rule, but what it means is to manage or to steward. It means that God's going to give you some responsibility on this earth. And the responsibility he gives you, you need to rule with his authority, but rule the way that he would have you do it. I think another way to say rule is he's called you to have great influence in this world but to use the authority that he's given to you. Now, God is not giving away his sovereignty. He's not giving away his ownership. He's not giving away his control. He is simply giving mankind, or all of us Adams, some responsibility in this world. Genesis 2 verse 15 gives a little more details when it says that the Lord placed the man, referring to men and women, human beings, in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. That's an interesting word, to watch over it. That word watch simply means to guard or to protect. See, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to watch over it and to protect it, which basically means to be his representatives. When we, as representatives of God, we just represent him and do what he's called us to do. So the disciples are thinking back, that's why we pray. Because God has called us to rule over and to protect and to watch and to tend. So they understand that there is a purpose behind prayer. They understand the necessity of prayer so we can influence in the world God's plans that he has for us. But the only way that that's going to happen is if we have a good prayer life and we understand what God is actually calling us to do. How do I know what God's calling me to do? How do I know how God's calling me to represent if I'm not spending time in prayer or spending the time in discipleship or spiritual formation so I can actually become like Jesus so I can do the things that he would have me to do? That's why so often prayer is seen more as a relationship with God than just a time to just a time to just give a bunch of requests. So the disciples say to Jesus, they say, would you teach us how to pray? And he says to them, well, God knows what you need before you ask to give them comfort. And then he goes and he tells them the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. We read it this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
See, a couple weeks ago, if you're here, we focused on that very first opening verse. Verse 9 that says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And what Jesus is instructing his disciples, if you are going to pray, the first thing that you really need to grasp and understand before you lay out any request is that you're praying to your Father who loves you and cares for you and he knows your needs and he wants to see you satisfied and he wants to give you the things that you need so you can have a deeper relationship with him. And to hallowed be thy name is saying that Jesus wants you to understand all the names of God throughout the Bible, to understand all the attributes of God because when we are praying for God's peace or God's shalom or God's kindness or God's compassion, we're not just praying for this little commodity that we would experience, but we're praying and asking that we would experience the actual presence of God in our life. The presence of God that brings shalom. That's not some little commodity. We pray for peace over a country that God sprinkles it with shalom, but he gives himself more to that country. He gives himself more to you and I that we experience the comfort. That is we're experiencing a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where Jesus is saying, if we're going to start understanding prayer, we need to understand that. That before you have a request, that God is saying, I'm going to come and I want to be part of your life. And I want my attributes to become part of your attributes, that you experience my peace and my power. And that's how Jesus would pray and have such an experience, because he would be with God and experience that perfect peace with God. And then, he says, from that point, and then you start with your request that you ask for God's will to be done on earth, that you ask God for provision, that you ask God to forgive your sins and to help you forgive other people, and then you ask God for his protection. And then in the book of Luke, there's a few interesting verses after that. It says in Luke 11, verse 5, Then, teaching them more about prayer, Jesus used this story. And this is kind of an interesting story to follow up the Lord's Prayer. You're kind of like, I don't see the connection. The story goes on to say, Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will open up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now we read that story and there's two different ways to react to it. I think if you react to that, your typical American reading that story, you think, well, what a crazy story. Who in the world would go to their neighbor's house at two in the morning and say, can I borrow three loaves of bread? That's just absolutely ridiculous. None of us would do that. And then you wonder, who in the world would come to your neighbor's house at the middle of the night as guests and knock on the door at the middle of the night and go inside? You don't do that. You travel during the day. And especially, okay, if you did get there in the middle of the night, why would you expect them to make you a big meal? That makes absolutely no sense at all in our American concept of hospitality and, and trek and travel, and, and, and meal preparation. We're like, no, there's nothing logical about that story at all. It doesn't make any sense. How am I supposed to learn from that story about prayer? Because I'm looking at that saying, that's just a story of craziness. 
But now, if you're Jesus' disciples and you're a good Hebrew young man, that story would make complete sense to you. See, in the Hebrew culture, hospitality was incredibly important and incredibly valuable. If somebody came to your house in the middle of the night and said, I need to spend the night, you welcome them with open arms. You're glad that they arrived. You don't care that it's inconvenient for you. You're not looking at your watch thinking, couldn't you wait until the morning before you come knocking on the door? No, you would welcome them. You would be so grateful that they came that you would want to give them a full-on meal. And that's exactly what happened to this man. He didn't have the meal prepared to give to the guest. He went to the neighbor's house to get fresh bread because in his house, he probably only had some scraps of bread. And if your neighbor, if you, if you had a visitor come over to your house and you're going to serve him a meal, you would not give him a half-eaten loaf of bread. No, 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 no. That, that would just be bad. That would just be insulting to do, to give. You would never say to your guests in the come in the middle of the night, oh yeah, by the way, uh, let me uh, get out some leftovers. You know, we had a little lasagna last night. Here's some sandwich meat, and here's some meat from last week. We'll just put it on the table and just have a smorgasbord. You would never do that. You would never even think about doing that. That would be rude. This family knows that they have guests in their house, that they have to show them such good hospitality, they're going to prepare the food for them. Brand new food. But if you don't have bread, what are you going to do? You can't just quick make a loaf of bread in 10 minutes. So the person of this house they came to, they're probably thinking, okay, who made bread last? Who in the neighborhood made bread? Because to make bread in the neighborhood, it was kind of a community thing that would go on because their life revolved around bread. You've got to remember, in that culture, your bread was your fork and your spoon and your knife and your plate. Usually what they did was they would have meals that were just, just dipping stuff. Think chips and salsa, you know? You just take your chip, you dip in the salsa. What they did was they would have their loaf of bread. They would have different things to dip it in. You might have your hummus and who knows whatever they're going to dip it in. So that's how you would have a meal. You'd have, everybody would get a loaf of bread and you would sit there and rip off a piece and dip it in that and eat that and take another loaf and dip it in that. That's how you would have a meal. So you had to have bread. You can just lick it with your fingers or something like that. So probably the, pers- the owner of that house was thinking, okay, I remember yesterday who made bread in the neighborhood oh yeah two doors down they made the bread so that's why you'd go to your neighbor's house in the middle of the night knock on their door and say hey can we borrow three loaves of bread and see those neighbors would actually been very excited to have you come over and ask for their loaves of bread because in the hebrew culture if your friend was doing hospitality they meant it was the whole neighborhood's responsibility to show hospitality everything was community-based So if your neighbor was going to have guests, it was like they were your guest as well. And you would do anything that you could do to help your neighbor be more comfortable and entertain their guest well. So this is the whole picture that Jesus is setting up. Saying, imagine that. Imagine somebody came to your house in the middle of the night because they needed bread for their guests that arrived at their house. And we're all thinking, well, of course, I'd get up and do that. Yeah, my kids would probably wake up. My dog would probably wake up. Our whole house would be waking up. It would be inconvenient for us, but not really because that's what good people do. So the, the, the parable is set up that we'd all read and say, well, that, 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 exactly, that will happen. But then Jesus throws a little monkey wrench in here and says, but what if the guy doesn't open the door? 
What if you knock on the door and he says, go away, we're sleeping. Go away, we don't want you to bother you. See, the disciples are reading that and they're thinking, who would ever do that? Nobody in their right mind would do that. That would be rude. And see, Jesus is going to use this parable to say, when you ask for me things in prayer, if, I don't, if you don't receive it right away, keep asking. Don't stop. Because sometimes, even though you know it's the right thing to do, if there's a delay, don't stop asking. Keep persistence in your prayer. Because eventually it will happen. See, what Jesus was saying in this illustration, he was showing them that sometimes you need to be persistent in your prayers. Even though it looks like something obvious that God should do, or it looks like it's something that God wants to do, or the scripture promises that he's going to do it for you. It seems as logical for God to answer your prayer as for you to give your neighbor three loaves of bread. And the illustration that Jesus is showing is that sometimes in prayer, we got to be persistent. We got to keep on asking for a while. We can't just ask once, then get it, and walk away. We got to stand there and keep on knocking. We have to have that shameless persistence. And that's why in that verse 9, it goes on to say, And I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Sometimes we got to keep asking, keep knocking, and keep seeking. And the scripture promises that you will receive. You're going to receive. You're going to receive what the Father knows that you need. You receive whatever the Father knows that you need. And sometimes when I pray, I don't know exactly what I need. And sometimes when I pray, I ask for things that I really don't need. I maybe want. But fortunately, God's over here saying, I will answer every single prayer you ask and give you exactly what you need. See, he goes on in verse 11 to say, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a steak instead? No. Or if they ask for an egg. My kids have never asked for an egg. Do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. A good father doesn't trick his children. A good father doesn't trick his children and doesn't give them something dangerous or harmful. No good father would do that and then he goes on to say in verse 13 so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him now that's interesting this whole parable is about asking persistence in asking persistence in seeking persistence in knocking 
keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking. And suddenly it's up here of God's going to give you the Holy Spirit? Well, I didn't ask for that. How did the Holy Spirit enter into this whole conversation about prayer? I'm asking for peace, or I'm asking for a car, or I'm asking for money, and now you're talking about the Holy Spirit is coming into the situation. Why? Why is he giving us the Holy Spirit? That wasn't on my prayer request list. See, the thing is, a lot of times we pray and we become very discouraged. We become very weary because we keep asking and we keep seeking and we keep knocking and it feels like your knuckles are bleeding and you wonder, when is this going to happen? And then at times you start wondering, am I just off my rocker? Do I even know what I'm praying for? Am I just praying for something that God's never going to do? Am I just praying according to my fleshly desires? What is going on in my prayer life that God doesn't seem to be answering the prayers that I want, that I keep asking? And you kind of wonder after a while, is it even worth it? Maybe I'll just stop praying. Because I haven't got what I wanted. And it doesn't seem like my prayers are being effective at all. It seems like that time that I pray, it almost seems more like a waste of time. So why do I keep praying? Because to be honest with you, we kind of sometimes keep an internal dialogue of prayer that haven't been answered. And after a while, we become very discouraged. And when people talk about praying, we're kind of like, yeah, kind of tried that. Often doesn't work that good. But I'm a Christian, so I'll be like, yeah, I'll pray. But if we're really honest, we'll say, I'm a little frustrated. I'm a little discouraged. And that's exactly why Jesus says that when you keep up your persistence in prayer, you keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul picks up the reason why we get the Holy Spirit when we pray so hard. Listen to what he says in Romans 8, verse 26. He said, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's why God sends the Holy Spirit when we keep persistence in prayer. Because we're weary. And God knows you're weary right now because you've all been praying a long time. It doesn't seem like you're getting what you're asking for. And Paul's saying, the Holy Spirit's going to come and help you in your weakness. That's the confidence we have as followers of Jesus when things aren't answered how we want them. It, we have the Holy Spirit with us. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? It says, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray. Do you ever feel like that? You're like, do I really know what I'm praying right now? Paul says, yeah. Sometimes you're like, I don't know what to pray. He says, but the Holy Spirit helps us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father knows all heart, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now, isn't that just comforting? 
I'm sitting over here discouraged. My prayers aren't being answered. I keep asking, I keep seeking, I keep knocking, and I'm wondering, does this even make sense? God, are you even listening to me? And God says, nope, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. You're going to receive. And I keep asking, seeking, and knocking, and I'm like, I don't know if this is working at all. And what does God say? While you keep asking, seeking, and knocking, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're praying wrong. Maybe you're not praying for the right thing. But God sees your heart. And God says, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit stand right next to you who knows my perfect will, and he is going to pray for you and your situation so exactly what is God's will for your life will happen. That's the comfort that we have in prayer. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He said, don't get all hung up on the perfect words, the perfect sentences, how you say it. Just be persistent. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. God's not worried about how you say it. If you say it by sprinkling the right scripture here and there, if you say the right sentence or it sounds so eloquent. You know those people that pray that they're so eloquent, you're just like, I wish I could pray like that. God's saying, don't worry about that. Because all I need to see the will happen in your life is for the Holy Spirit to stand next to you and pray for you. And that's what every single one of us in this room and online and at home have guaranteed that the Holy Spirit of God is standing next to us saying, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. But you need to do your part too. You need to keep asking and seeking and knocking. And you will receive exactly what you need. And that's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Just be persistent. Know that God's your father. See how many times that got brought back up in this chapter? God's your good father. He knows how to give good gifts to you. He's not going to trick you when you pray for something like slide in a snake or scorpion. He's not going to do that. He's going to give you exactly what you need. So you can rule and reign and tend over the earth to do what he's called you to do, which is to be a reflection of the Trinity of God. And that's just this confidence we have. Y'all, we can't mess up when we pray. We can't. There are things that I prayed for for decades in my life that God didn't answer. I say, thank God he did it. But it was that Holy Spirit that was like, I know exactly what you need. We can't pray wrong. As long as we're persistent and keep asking and knocking, you'll get what you need. That's just good. So God, thank you. Thank you, God, that you give us what we need. And God, we just pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to each one of us. Because, Lord, there are people listening to me that feel like their knuckles are raw from knocking. And there's people listening to me that feel like discouraged and hopeless 
Or maybe you're saying, yeah, I prayed, but something drastically happened and it didn't work out at all. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us right now to encourage us to take comfort in the fact that your Holy Spirit is standing next to us, helping us in our weaknesses. And I would just guess that probably every single person listening to me right now is saying, I feel a little weak. There's a little area of my life I feel weak. And that's really good news if you're feeling weak. Because that means the Holy Spirit standing next to you saying, let me pray for you. Because I know God's perfect will for your life. And you just keep asking and seeking and knocking. And I'll pray for you so that it happens. God, would you give us boldness? And would you give us persistence? Would you grant to us obedience? Lord, encourage each of us here. And God, I pray that as Libby leads us in this next song, that your Holy Spirit, who's helping us in our weaknesses, would stand alongside of us to give us the confidence to know that your Holy Spirit's praying for us right at this very moment. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.